0: This morning we're looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 6, uh, verse 40, 42, and chapter 7. 40 and 42 is the end of chapter 6, and then chapter 7, we're going to start there. Uh, so this is a um, portion of scripture that's pretty well known uh, when we get to it. But there's a, you know, a few things that I, I want to look at as we move through um, this, this section of Chronicles here. Um, In the Sunday school lesson, we talked about meditating and thinking on God and how that God, um, how that we can meditate, think on the scriptures and bring ourselves to peace in, our, in the present moment with God and how that, that God is, uh, we think on his word. You know, we mentioned about doing uh, the 23rd Psalm, that the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, just thinking on that for a moment, you know, we, we pause we think the Lord, being Lord, he is Lord of my life. Lord, we are bowing before our Lord. We are serving him. He is my shepherd. Shepherd is one who guides. Now, I'm, I'm moving quickly through this, but that we would think of these things in a very calming method and think of shepherd and that David, you know, what does a shepherd do? The, you know, uh, a shepherd shepherds his sheep. And, you know, think of the scriptures that Jesus left in 99 and went out and, lo- and for- searched for the one. So God thinks of me and so no matter what my situation is around me God is shepherding me, guiding me through this situation. He is there with me. So meditating on that is allowing God to give us peace Meditating and allowing God to speak to us through his word. Now the important thing is we we have to know the word and we have to understand what the word is saying. We could think that David wrote this from the palace, but in reality, he wrote it from a cave. <laughs> He's running, either running from Saul or running from his son, who's trying to dethrone him. So, <coughs> finding the context and finding what these things mean to think about them, that God is with me in those situations. So, as we look at this in Second Chronicles, this is uh, the statements of Solomon. In verse 40, he says, Now, my God, my eyes are open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. So he's talking about the, the sanctuary, he's talking about the um, tabernacle that, they, that he has built there. You know, the big, play, the big what is it called? The, this, the, not the synagogue, pardon? Temple, yeah. The, the, the big temple that has bought, been built by Solomon there in Jerusalem. So he's praying in that place. Verse 41. Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. Then it goes on to chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So <clears throat> after this prayer and after uh, this situation, the people are able to witness and see the, the fire of God coming into the temple and, and, and consuming the sacrifice. You know, that's, that's quite a demonstration, <laughs> The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their face to the ground, and, and they, they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Then we move down to 2 Chronicles seven eleven. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace. Verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I, when I shut up heaven, there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. Verse 14. Focus of our... If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. <laughs> these, these verses are, there's a number of, a couple of things that are very interesting, I, I find in, the, in this section of scripture. In chapter 6, verse 41, Solomon says, Arise, Lord God, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Now, one of the things is whenever we're praying, and you know, so often we have this idea that I don't know how to pray, I don't know what words I should do, and all that. Here we have Solomon, the wisest man on earth, and what does he do? He is quoting his father. This Quote, this, uh, this that Solomon is praying was written by his father in Psalm 132, verse 8 and 9. David says, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. <laughs> so we would think that we have to make this all up on our own. <laughs> we Sometimes whenever we pray, we, it's like, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't, the words don't come out. Well, look at something that is written already. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, in all of his vocabulary, eloquence, he was, he, whenever he is making this prayer to the Lord about the temple, and his father, David, was making the same prayer about the temple. They went together, and so David quoted his father. He quoted, excuse me, David, Solomon quoted his father, David, and he quoted this psalm. So when we see these words, <laughs> we, we need to look at, see how that they are not taken out of context. They are put together in a way that expresses what Solomon wanted to express. So whenever we're reading the scriptures, and if we're just getting started, we go to the book of John. You know, read the Gospel of John and understand what Christ has come to do in our life. We don't start with Genesis. Right, Glenda? Glenda's been reading the Bible. (laughs) Is that a wonderful thing? No. (laughs) She's been reading through the Bible, you know, and going through. And, you know, when you get into Leviticus and Numbers, I mean, those books are like you know, stick a pin in me. I mean, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, you know, reading all these laws and the numbers of people and all on and on and on. It's you know, it, it's agonizing. But anyhow, she's doing it, and we're <laughs> glad for that. And you can report on it when you're done, Glinda. So, um, but as we as we look at the scriptures, we are finding the inspiration. We are identifying with the inspiration of the guys of the individuals. Who wrote it? God is not inspiring us to write new, ver- new scriptures. We can write new songs. We can write our thoughts to the Lord and so on. But we are asking God, um, we are finding ways to express our thoughts, our spirit, our desires to God in the way that somebody already has written them. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to, you know, I don't know what to say. Well, read some of the Psalms also. Look at how these individuals, David and and the others, uh, were inspired by their situations to think about God and how God was working in their life. Read the book of Ruth, you know, how that Ruth and all the things that went on in her life. And, you know, we find that there's stories in the Bible and situations in the Bible where we see God working in their life. Like... um, My arrangement of of that verse, arise, my Lord and Savior, arise in my soul and let me know your strength and power. You know, that's, I'm just kind of going off of what was already there. I offer to you my praise, to you, the rock of my salvation. I rejoice in you. I delight in you for your goodness. Lord, I know you will never turn against me. Your will and desires are always before me. I remember your mercies as you spoke them to your chosen one, David. It's just looking at that and looking at what David had written and what Solomon had quoted. Hey, if Solomon can quote his father, so can I. (laughs) You know, we can look at the scriptures and, and look at them in a way that speaks to our own life. We find that we are making God our dwelling place that when whenever we thought of it as god being that we being god's dwelling place most of the time we think of it as I, i'm dwelling in god but what if we look at it that god wants to dwell in you i am his dwelling place <laughs> we find that god desires <laughs> he desires to rest not for because he's tired but to rest, to settle in, as it were, in us. And we, we don't have that unless we first settle in in him. <laughs> you know, we belong to the body of Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We see these, this connection that we have with God that the Spirit, the Spirit would abide in, uh, in us, that when we ask Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit abides within us. And we we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, all these things come together and we, we look at it as that we are abiding in Christ. But if we grow into a position where we would say, Wow, God is abiding in me. Jesus said, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. <laughs> he we are his resting place. He settles in. And and Psalm 132, verse 8, The ark of thy strength is a reference to Chronicles, and it is an expression that that occurs nowhere else in the Scripture, just in these two places. David and Solomon pray that God would take and keep possession of the temple for himself and make it, as it were, his resting place. God would take the temple, make it his resting place, What's the parallel? The parallel, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, God, take this temple, take it to yourself, and make it a resting place. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You see, God, we're not searching after God and trying to find him, make sure we're, we're stuck to him. We're realizing that God is dwelling in us and we are his resting place. And so um, that if we, if we notice God's presence is a sign of the ark also. The ark of the covenant where the Ten Commandments are and Aaron's rod that butted in a, a, a jar of uh, manna are in the ark. Well, that ark being being there in the temple was a sign of God's presence and also a sign of God's power and it was a sign of God's dwelling, his resting place. Well, what is the sign of God for us? The word made flesh and dwelt among us. When the word dwells in us, God is at rest in us. Just as the ark was a symbol to the nation of Israel of God's presence, the symbol of God's presence in our life is his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against him. That I I recognize the presence of God, that he dwells within me. The scripture says, I am not my own. (laughs) I've been bought with a price. So God owns us. He bought us with his blood upon the cross. And his ownership of us is, you know, we are his prized possession. And remember, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. (laughs) So God, you know, he remembers us. We are his favorite. I am his favorite child. But so are you. You know, it's not one, it's not a scale of greatness, you know, on a scale of one to ten, I'm a ten and you're a six. No, we're all tens. (laughs) We're all tens in God's book, in God's eyes. We're all the same. He looks at us the same, loves us the same, plans for our life the same. He has all this in store for us. And so as I then look at his presence, look at his word, I know that his word is abiding in me. And I have Confess my sins and he forgives me and he lives within my heart and his presence is with me. And we pray that as the ark was a symbol of his presence and power to the children of Israel, his word, we are his dwelling place. He takes pleasure in dwelling with us. So he's never against us. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, so he did two things here. He finished the temple, and, you know, if you've seen pictures of the temple uh, of Solomon, it's a huge, magnificent structure. I mean, it dwarfs the whole city of Jerusalem. And his royal palace, so he built the royal palace for himself and for the future kings. And succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace. So everything that he had in mind, he accomplished in the, in the temple and in the palace. Now, here's, here's a little bit of history here. Perhaps years had passed since the dedication of the temple and the completion of the king's house. Okay, so according to 1 Kings, and I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the math here. According to 1 Kings chapter 6, Solomon began the temple in April or May of 966 B.C. Okay, the dates are written there according to the Hebrew calendar. The temple was completed in October, November in 959 B.C. It was started in 66, you know, you're going down towards zero, towards the birth of Christ, in 959 B.C., so that was taken care of there. The temple dedicated and Solomon's prayer to the Lord occurred 11 months after the completion of the temple in 958 B.C. So his prayer took place in 958. The Lord did not appear to Solomon the second time until Solomon had completed building his own palace in 946 B.C. In other words, it was 12 years. (laughs) What we read and look at as almost instantaneous, he completed um, temple, he completes the palace, and the the glory of the Lord falls, and everything is wonderful. It was 12 years. How many of you get tired waiting on God? (laughs) How many times do we get tired waiting for God to answer our prayer? Well, take heart. You just keep believing. (laughs) God is our shepherd and he will see us through. <coughs> Excuse me. He will see us through the difficult times. So, 2nd Chronicles 7. Then verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, "I've heard your prayer. 12 years he's been praying the same prayer. Or something similar. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this palace for myself as a house of sacrifice. I have chosen this palace. Remember in the New Testament it says you have not chosen me but I have chosen you. You have been chosen by God just like God chose this uh, temple that Solomon had built, and he gave him instructions how to build it and all that. But just as he chose that temple in the Old Testament for the congregation of Israel, for the nation of Israel, he has chosen you and I to be his temple, his dwelling place. God declares that Solomon's temple is a place where all Israel will... We're commanded to bring their burnt offerings and sacrifices. In our life, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God, and we bring our sacrifices. Not bulls, not goats, not lambs. The sacrifice of praise. We offer our temple unto the Lord as his dwelling place. We cleanse our temple by asking for forgiveness, and the blood of the Lamb cleanses us from all sin we find that we are the dwelling place of God. And we think of what we said earlier, that we become the resting place where God dwells. Now, it's, it's an understanding that, yes, I am in Christ, but it goes further than that, that I am in him and he is in me. When Jesus was walking here, he said, I and the Father are one. I've come to do the will of my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've read the word and you understand what it means, you understand who I am. <laughs> now, I'm not meaning, you know, I'm God. but just the idea of that's what's going on in our life. I'm far from being perfect. But the idea is that if you've read the word, Paul says, follow me as I have followed Christ. So there is this responsibility there is this pleasure (laughs) there is this place that we have with God verse 13 when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain so what God is telling here is speaking of is I have the authority I have the power that whenever the you know the people have sinned you know he says I've shut up the heavens I've caused it not to rain I've caused the locusts to devour the land and send plagues among the people God has the authority to do all of this. God is declaring his power over all areas of life. Wow. Verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. What God has caused to come because of sin and rebellion, God can cause to heal and restore. If my people, it's a question. If, will you respond? My people, God's people here is a reference to Israel, the nation, but it is also in the New Testament, it is a reference to us, to all believers. We are God's people. You are God's people. You are the bride of Christ. You are the the followers of Christ. You are the messengers of Jesus. Why? Because God is in your heart. It isn't a status that we achieve. It's a status that we receive. It's a place that we have found ourselves in because of God's grace and his mercy. (laughs) Humble yourselves and pray. The word humble is defined as the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, you know, that we have a reverential, reverential, reverence of God and his word and, and uh, of he himself. But the root meaning is humus in Latin, meaning of the earth. So it means that um, this <laughs> formed pile of dirt, <laughs> which is of the earth, what does it find itself doing? We humble ourselves before God that we are face down upon the dirt. (laughs) And that's literally what it's speaking about, that we humble ourselves before God, that we are are seeing where we come from. Dirt. (laughs) And from that position, we find ourselves elevated to a place that God dwells in and that we can offer praise to our God. Humble, it is the grace that attracts more grace. Pride closes the door to spiritual growth, but humility opens the door of our life for more of God's grace. So being humble is not being a doormat. Being humble is recognizing that we have the strength and power of God like Jesus in the sense that he was able to destroy the world and start all over again as he hung on the cross, but he was was there to purchase our salvation. And so he did not allow that situation to go the wrong way. It went the way that it was planned. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? God has a purpose for our life. And it doesn't matter where we are at in our life. God has a reset button. (laughs) God has a way to reset, recalculate. You know, I, I told you about the, I had, a, I had a, a Garmin one time, I think it was a Garmin, and you would put in where you're going, and sometimes I would know where I was going, and I wanted to go a, a different way. And it would always be <laughs> not the way that the Garmin was taking me. After about four or five times, this Garmin would say to me, you know, there is a better way. <laughs> and it was in a woman's voice. It's what I needed, another woman telling me what to do, you know? I threw her out. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, got off the subject there. Humble yourselves and pray, uh, the text. Humble yourselves and pray. Pray while on the face before God. Pray means making a request, the expression of thanks to God, looking to the Scripture. Remember, if God is settled in our hearts and lives, how far away is God? It's not a long-distance call. He abides within us, and so He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. Why? Not because He's up there in heaven somewhere on a book. He's in our hearts and in our lives, settled in there, and we are to recognize out of the, out of the uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Psalms say. So we find that we are speaking the truth of the abiding presence of God. What would God want to be said in my life? Meditate on him. And remember, he's never so far away as to be just near us. He lives inside us. (sighs) I like this, this, this thought. Jesus came to set people straight. They that had fallen from grace... Jesus came to straighten him out, to teach us a lesson. You know, as you read that, you would think, uh uh-oh, here comes the whip. (laughs) But Jesus came to to teach us about love, to set us straight. That hatred and vengeance, that bitterness and wrath, all those things have no place in his vessel. That he has called us by my name, this is, this is the one that I think of with Mary coming out of the uh, as Jesus after the resurrection. Mary goes to the tomb, and he's not in there. And supposing that it's the gardener, he cry, they, she cries at his feet. And, who, you know, where have you laid him? And Jesus says, Mary, he knows her name. And when he says that name, everything changes. When Jesus speaks our name, he calls us by name. Everything changes. We have a new perspective. Why? Because he was standing right there all the time. Jesus is standing right here all the time. Thy word, thou have I hid in my heart. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. We are called by God. We are called by his name. <laughs> Did you know there are, oh, I have it written down somewhere, how many, how many references we have that we are called by his name. It's like 400 references, the different names that God calls his people. But the most important one is he calls us beloved. <laughs> we are his beloved. Verse 14. If we pray, what are we doing? Seeking his face. I am called to seek God. I am called to draw near to God. I am called, as Isaiah says, that he was, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And meaning that when all the things things in my life that stood between me and God are gone, I had a different perspective of God. When everything has failed, and all my wants and wishes and desires and plans, and they've all crashed down, That's the place and time that we can look and see God more clearly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Seek my face. We are to seek him. We are to pursue him. We are to search for him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. Tell the Lord your story. (laughs) Tell the Lord your story. And when you're done, ask for his forgiveness. He forgives us. And what will he do? He will heal our land. Heal our land. The nation of Israel was a big, you know, The borders of Israel heal the land. Our land is our body, our life, our surroundings. God will bring healing to the perspectives that we have and perhaps to the people that we are praying for. It is a healing that goes beyond just a physical place. It is that which reaches the spirit not only of our own life but the lives of others. We are trusting in God. We are trusting in the goodness of God. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Then I will hear from heaven. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. O Lord, quicken me according to thy judgments. Seeking God is seeing the word alive. Seeing the word of God alive, that Jesus is the word, and that word is alive. And it quickens. It, it encourages us. It gives us faith. It gives us a stirring in our spirit. And it's that quickening power of the Holy Spirit that God is telling us. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. So when the Holy Spirit speaks his words to us, it is God speaking as we read the scriptures and they become alive on that page to our life. It is God speaking to us. It is God resting and settling in our lives and so we come to him knowing that I can be at peace. My past is forgiven. My present, God has given me a new present, a new outlook on life. And my future, I'm going back to what, it's going back to what he created me for. God will forgive their sins. He acts with loving kindness. God has a covenant with us, a covenant of loyalty. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. God will forgive. And what will he do? Uh, he will heal our land. Remember, I shut up heaven and there is no rain. I command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence. Remember how God brought judgment upon the nation? Here he says, I will heal the land. What sin has destroyed, God says I will heal. What I have allowed sin to take away, you know, because we had a choice, we chose to go a different direction, God says, don't worry about that, I got this. I'll heal the land. I'll heal your life. This verse speaks to us in many ways. For Israel, it was a national repentance. But for us, it's an individual repentance. Those of the past, those of the present. If we have dishonored his name, By our iniquities, if we should honor his name by repenting of our sins. As it were, falling on our face before him, seeking forgiveness, bowing our hearts and our lives to him. We must seek his face. We must remember his grace. Divine favor. That's what he has us. That's where he has us. Divine favor. I am God's favorite child. (laughs) And so are you. I am God's favorite. We must seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. Why? Because God's presence is in us. God's mercy is expressed to us. God is at rest in our life. Why? God has nothing to fear. God is not anxious. God doesn't have problems. He's sovereign. And he places that sovereignty in our life. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal heal their land. I will heal their lives. Jesus, we come before you. If there's anything that separates us, our sin, our will, our purpose, our pride, no matter what it is, if there's anything that separates us from you, God, we ask for your forgiveness. Forgive us, O God. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. God, come to rest in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Meditate on those things. Think about it. Let God speak to your heart. I am his. He is mine. Amen.